Do you love horror and fantasy? If so, don't miss out on Gabriella Balcom's novella Down With The Sickness and Other Chilling Tales. It'll have you shivering right on the edge of your seat. Dive right into these macabre horror stories, but be careful not to close your eyes. Evil lurks unseen, supernatural beings keep watch, and monsters lie in wait. Some plot vengeance while others crave human flesh. Crystal longs to be a rock star, but what would she do to make her dream come true? Lie? Kill? Elaine goes to extremes to be like Sonora, but isn't the only one wanting to be someone else. Betty struggles to breathe after Rodney blows smoke in her face, then he does worse. But the Watchers have something special in mind for him. Wahasi stalks through the swamp in crocodile form, infuriated at her lack of food. But she has a plan, and the townspeople better watch out. A brat. Brad defies his parents and tries to hurt his sister, but he's not the only bully around. Abner is delighted to visit Aogigahara Forest, which is rumored to be haunted, but Sharon isn't. Shane dares Angeline to spend the night in the Devil's Hand, which is supposedly cursed. Trisha is prideful about her looks and bullies a younger girl, but she has a surprise visitor. Life post-Covid included nuclear bombs and death. Cole, Vera, and Marianne have little left to eat and need to forage, but rovers are out and about and must be avoided at all costs. Dean likes pushing people around, but when he damages his grandfather Charlie's Venus flytraps, Charlie isn't the only one who's upset. Gabriella Balcom's book includes all of the above and more, and the readers have been gushing about her creations. Wow! Just freaking wow! I was deeply disturbed, loved every minute. Bravo! A masterpiece in the horror genre. Heartbreaking and devastating. Holy shit, that was so creepy. I loved it. I want more, more, more. Dang it. I got chills reading this story. Exciting and horrific. Multifacetedly disturbing. Very well written. If you're ready to sink your teeth into Gabriella Balcom's novella Down With the Sickness and Other Chilling Tales, click on over to Amazon.com now. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Welcome to Grindhouse Sleep. I'm your host, Alan Rico. I'm Dave Montoya. Alright, hello boys and ghouls. Or whatever you want to be called at this point. We're going to be talking about our favorite word. <clears throat> Not in any particular order. Just what we think 
are our favorites. What's your top? Um, you know, first of all, let me jump in and apologize for everybody. Um, I don't know if you can hear it or not, but I've been having dental surgery for what, like the last month and a half now, so. I, to me, I sound like Sylvester the Cat, you know, sucker and suckateth. Um, <laughs> so, I want to apologize for that. In fact, we're, we're going to try to knock out a couple episodes here. Um, this turnaround, because on Friday I, I go in for my final bit of surgery, and then um, then it's the healing process. So I'll probably be out for another month and a half. So I just wanted to apologize to everybody because, and I also wanted to thank uh, Russell and I both want to thank everybody for making uh, Grindhouse Sleaze, even though we didn't record a single episode in uh, August was the number one played downloaded podcast on the Jaisal Modcast podcast network, which was pretty damn awesome if you really think about it. Exactly. So with that all being said, um, my favorite all-time horror movie, and this is not going to come to a surprise as Russo, is Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. The Dream Warriors. It's, uh... Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, 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 I'm agreeing with you. That's oh. a good one. Um, it was actually, it was a tie between part three and part four. And the only reason why, I'm, I'm just being completely honest, part four was even in the high, I, it would be like maybe number two as far as like my favorite Nightmare on Street movie was because we had an opportunity to to work with uh, Lisa Wilcox, who is Alice in Nightmare on Elm Street uh, 4 and 5. And just getting to know her outside of the characters, she's just a wonderful lady. And to me, that kind of elevated the movie even more so um, than before I got to know her. But for Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, to me, it came out in, uh, what was it, 87, I believe? Something like that? Something like that. Um, and back then, kids, you you didn't have to worry about, you know, <laughs> you know being offended or being too scared. Um, you entered <laughs> at your own risk. And there was lots of sexual windows, and there was so much death and carnage. Now, mind you, I had seen uh, the original Nightmare on the Street when I was seven, so I was already scarred up by the time Part Three rolled around. <laughs> and it just it the the marionette. Do you remember that scene, the marionette where it oh turned my into? God. Yeah, that was like perfect. Um, that was what kind of like cemented the, the idea of me being a Nightmare on Elm Street fan. And, uh, in fact, I, I, I'm kind of surprised because my girl's birthday, both of them are September babies. And my oldest girl, she actually asked me today, uh, because I have a, a Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, windbreaker. And it's on the inside. It's night. Uh, Freddy's uh, red and or not red, but it's orange and green. You know his stripes. Yeah. And then on the outside is kind of a uh, 
kind of like the the green that he wore for his windbreaker in um, the new nightmare. Right, right, right. And then it's got a silhouette of him with his glove, and it's got all these different Freddy Krueger sayings. She's like, I, I, I want that for my birthday. So I'm like, yes, thank you. <laughs> you know. Exactly. Um, I mean, go ahead. All right, I will say this about part three. I mean, I believe part three should have been part two, just to be honest. I agree. I mean, you know, because it's a continuation of part one. It really is. I mean, don't get me wrong, part two wasn't bad for what it was. Right. Yeah, we talked about that before. Right. But, you know, you brought back Nancy, you brought back her dad, and everything else. So, you know, with part two, I don't know, it was one of those, it was a decent sequel, but when you start bringing back your original characters in part three, it made it that much better. I agree. Because it is a continuation of part one. You get a little bit more info on Freddy and, you know, what happened to his body, the whole nine yards. And, you know, they tell you they're the last of the Elm Street children, which makes sense. Because, you know, it's such a small group and not, you know, and they're not all friends. They're all in the insane asylum. Right. Trying to figure out what's going on with them. And then Nancy comes in and she knows exactly what's going on. You know, and it kind of puts in that perspective that with them being left, the only children, they were younger when the events of part one took place. Right. Um, because, she, because she's been through grad school, you know, she's about to graduate grad school. So, you know, you're talking a six-year gap at, or seven-year gap minimum. Easily, yeah. You know, so, you know, and it just, to me, brings, it brings everything full circle. And they could have ended it right there. They could have. They really could have. You know, and, but then at the same time, you get into part four, and the last of the survivors are what bring it back, which continues in the part four. Now, which is a great concept. Um, oh, what was her name? I, I know the character's name was Kristen. Kristen, um, you know, the blonde. She was played right. by the Arquette. I can't think of the first name. Patricia. Patricia Arquette, yeah. Um, I felt, uh, part three, obviously it's Patricia Arquette. So she she brought it more, she brought the character more to the table than the, the secondary one. Um, right. And I know a lot of people actually disagree with me. They, they prefer the, you know, the uh, Kristen in the uh, part four. Four over yeah. Patricia Arquette. Yeah, what's the night? But I, I actually, I preferred this this uh, version of her as well. Um, and also, one of the things that, uh, as you were talking, I, I, it kind of popped into my head 
is that this is really where Freddy's one-liners came in, his zingers, you know. Um, another right. one of his most famous ones was, you know, welcome to primetime, bitch, you know, and slams uh, right. that chick's head into the TV. Loved that scene. Loved it. Right. Um, it was just... It was solid writing. I think the disconnect, because Wes Craven wasn't involved in part two, but he was an executive producer in part three. Um, and he, he was the um, the script overseer as well. So that's where I agree with you as far as like the sequel. This, this should have been the part two. And that and just my generalized disappointment as a child... Uh, when part two came out, because part one, you know, is is still probably out of all of them the scariest. Um, right. Then you've got that disconnect with part two, and then part three is coming out, and you you kind of have that um, that idea. Okay, well, part two wasn't that good, so part three is not going to be that good. And you know, back in the eighties, that circulation of you know. Um, Sequels aren't generally as good as the original kind of thing. Uh, of course, yeah. until we got to the 80s, and just about every single sequel is better than the 80s, or, uh, you know, than the original. Um, and then when Part 3 came out, and you were expecting something less quality, and you get hit with the gold that is Part 3. You're just like, whoa, you know? this Right. And I, well, Go ahead. And here's the thing with Part 2. You know, part two, they they threw it together. I was reading on this one. They threw it together to capitalize on the capitalize on part. Because part one, you know, it was a sleeper hit. It was gold. Right. So they're like, okay, let's hurry up and do a sequel, and that's what they came. And I'm like, you know, it's not bad. Mark Patton did a wonderful job in his role. I will give him that. Yes. And. You know, he made a comment on his, I guess, documentary, you know, that I'm Scream Queen. Yeah, I saw that. That's that's a good documentary. Yeah, you know, and that's that was a great insight on part two. And, you know, you, don't re- you didn't realize as a child all the gay... Innuendos. You don't. You really don't. You know, and the bar scene, and I found this out later, and by watching that, the bar scene was actually filmed at a gay bar. Really? Filmed at an S and M bar in downtown LA. No kidding. Yes. And so most of the extras that you see in the bar are just regular patrons. Oh wow. And, you know, Dan Shea was the bartender. The executive producer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. You know, and, but everybody else were just regular patrons at the bar. And it was just, you know, it was a quick one-day shoot. It took them, like, 30 minutes to do it because they got it pretty much in one day. And that was it. You know. But then you've got the rest of, you know, then you got the other sexual in- innuendos throughout because, you know, especially with the uh, the popper scene, 
That was hilarious. Yes. You know, she walks in, it's like, boop. It's like, yeah. Typical teenage. A girl you like walks in and bam. <laughs> <laughs> you know, instant boner and, you know, shit like that. But, you know, and it, but part two did have its moments. I'll give it that. But when you get into part three, as being a direct sequel to part one, it takes, it makes part one that much better to watch. It does. If you skip part two. The fact that they made Nancy even stronger, you know, she's becoming a doctor of psychiatry, and um, they, they made her dad a raging alcoholic because of everything that he knows what goes on. You know, he, right. he's, and despite, you know, uh, everything, you know, he's lost his wife and lots of kids have died, people he knows have died. So, yeah, becoming a raging alcoholic, that actually, that makes sense. And, of course, right. you know, when they're they're trying to, you know, pull his, pull Freddy's body, his, well, his remains, out of the the trunk and and put it into hollowed ground and then he comes back as the skeleton that was fun too that really was right. fun right and you know and the fact that the you know on the dad you know they made him a security guard you know he lost the position as lieutenant with sheriff or police department i think he was a sheriff he, wasn't he no he's a lieutenant was he a lieutenant i don't remember i have to watch yeah. it again yeah so, you know, to bring him from that position with the sheriff's department to a security officer and a raging alcoholic makes perfect sense, especially after part one. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, they look at it, they they pretty much botched the whole thing, and I'm sure they blamed it all on him. So, you know, it, it's the progression of Nancy being stronger is great just for the simple fact that she just learned from what happened in part one. Yes. She's becoming, she's getting her PhD in psychiatry, so she's understanding more and more about what happened in part one and why he attacked him in part one and everything else. But at the same time, she was taking hypnosis which kept her from having the dreams to bring him back. So he had to find another outlet to get her back in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's how he drug her back in because, you know, she could have not done her PhD at Weston Hills. And, you know, but it's the fact that she heard about what was going on with the kids so she knew what was going on, so that's why she came back to the market. Right. And that's what I was going to say is the fact that after everything that went down in part one, she comes home. I mean, right. honestly, I don't think I would come home after that. <laughs> right? I would stay gone. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, dude. Um, yeah. It was, I would uh, take my hypnosis. I would take my hypnosil and fucking you know I'm out. <laughs> yeah, really. Forget <laughs> all about that shit. Um, I'm trying to kind of 
delve into things that, because I, I haven't watched it. Uh, Steph, I, I introduced Steph to Nightmare on Elm Street last year when she was here, and we watched all the the Nightmare on Elm Streets. So I, I, I consider that as a win as well. Um, so that was the last time. It's been about a year since I watched right. Part Three. Um, did they ever explain the white in her hair? You know, in Nancy's hair? I don't remember they if they did, did or not. They didn't, but, I mean, you know, you look into it, and that's, that's typical for people with uh, PTSD. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, and, uh, they lose certain parts of their hair, shit like that, you know, due to, it, it's, it's trauma-induced, so... Speaking of trauma, the only person that didn't get killed, I, I, I felt like should have got killed, was uh, Nurse, Nurse Cratchit. I, I don't even know what her name was, but you know who I'm talking about. That bitchy-ass nurse that, uh, you know, that was against Nancy from the get-go. Oh, you mean the doctor? The other doctor? Was it a doctor? I thought it was a nurse. Yeah. No, she was a doctor. Yeah. She should have died. Yeah, but she that in the order, him and her in the order. Oh, Lawrence that, Fishburne. <laughs> no, not that one. The, the other one, the the one that you know kept telling the uh, the one that he's got the keys to heaven. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The one with the glasses. No, he didn't have glasses. Yeah, he had glasses. He had white glasses, didn't he? Or am I am I mixing up uh, movies? Yeah, I think you're mixing up movies. He's the one that kept telling the one that was the ju- that used to be the junkie. He was trying to get her high on, you know, the pills. Yeah, because he had the keys to the pharmacy or whatever. That's right. Yeah, I think he should have died. Too. Lawrence Fishburne, nah, he was a great character. Yeah, he was. Well, you he know. was just a good old CNA. We can relate to that shit. <laughs> right, right, right. You know. <clears throat> But, you know, I mean, I understand, you know, it was about the kids and all that stuff, but there's a couple of adults that could have got, you know, they could have got whacked, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, I mean, overall, it was a great sequel. It was. It really was. Uh, before I hand it over to you, what do you think about the rumors online? I don't know if you've heard them on like TikTok and Instagram and stuff. That so there originally there was it was just a, a fan theory, and they were saying that Freddy Krueger was innocent and that the the Springwood slasher was actually uh, Nancy's mom because she's the one that actually had the glove and. Um, the, the husband was the sheriff, so he covered it all up, and it was easily blamed on Freddy Krueger, and that Freddy actually came back for revenge for being killed innocently, but by the time he killed the mother, um, he was so far into his, you know, the evil spirit kind of thing, he just, he couldn't stop, and he became what he was accused of originally. And they're actually, I guess, they're talking about making that movie. Um, what do you think about that? An innocent Freddy Krueger. It wouldn't make sense. 
for the simple fact that Nancy's mom, during part one, said we took we took his glove. That one line throws that whole theory out the window. I think they're they're looking for new ways to bring back Freddy. Yeah, they are. But that one line that, you know, after we killed him, we took his glove. Okay. That right there tells you that it was his blood. Right. You know, they took it after they killed him. What they did is, I think, in in my opinion, you know, they, they tried to explain it in part one, that after they killed him, they hid the evidence that, you know, they killed him because of a technicality. Right, because he got off. Right, he got off, so, you know, the parents are like, okay, well, we're going to kill him, and they did, so certain parents kept the evidence because her husband was the sheriff. That way, so, you know, it looks just, it made it look like an accident. Right, right. But everybody knew. Everybody knew, but, you know, just to make it look like an accident, you know, everybody just brushed it off, okay, an accident, whatever. And that was the official story. <clears throat> and her keeping the glove was pretty much a reminder of, you know, it happened. I thought it was a souvenir. <laughs> well, that too, probably, but, you know. Got that zone, bitch. Simple, yeah, we got it. You know, I got the proof. And so, you know, that one line doesn't make any sense that he was in yeah, that makes sense. So, um, that is my number one pick for favorite horror movie. What about you? Oh, there's so many. I mean, honestly, you know, everybody goes for Halloween. Duh. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's the cliche. Everybody's favorite horror movie, Halloween. The original. The original. Okay, yeah, I get it. Mine, and it's, I wouldn't really say it's my top, but it's definitely in the running is Friday the 13th, the original. Interesting, okay. Just for the simple fact that, you know, you don't know who the killer is until the very You know, you know it's, you know, because there's a lot of aspects to it that, you know, you you kind of hear along the way, you know, the camp is doomed and all this stuff. And, you know, you hear about the drowning and right. that kind of thing. But you don't know who the killer is. Until the you know until right there at the very end when you find out it's his mother. Yeah, which and is probably one of the best twists there is in, in horror cinema. Right, because you know, as you're watching it, you're like, okay, who the fuck's killing these people? You know, and why? And so when you get to the end, it's that shock twist, and it's like, oh, okay, 
that makes sense. And then you, you know, and then beyond that, you know, you start getting into part two, part three, and all that stuff. And that's when they bring in Jason. And it's like, why? You know, why, you know, if he died in the 50s, how did he survive as long as he did in the woods after his mother died? Right. It supposed to drown. But at the same time, I think that's what gives him that superhuman element. Element slash. Oh, what is my word for it? Um, he's superhuman, but at the same time, you know, he's supernatural. You know, it gives him that supernatural level. Because he died. You know what I'm saying? So, when you bring him back, he's already dead. Right. You know, so, it does give that supernatural element. You know, it gives him that reason to come back. Because they killed his mother. Now he's looking for a But with part one... You know, it makes so much sense because, you know, Mr. Christie, which is the guy that owned the camp at the time, you know, it was his family's camp when he died. So she's doing everything she can to keep the camp stopped from opening, which makes sense. But I like it for the twisting. I wouldn't say it's my number one, but it's a close. It's a it's close. What would be your second? I mean, like between your one and two, what would what is your number two? Uh, keeping with the surprise endings, I think my number two would probably be Sweet Boy Camp. Really? Yeah. It's cheesy, it's campy, but it's good. It is. It, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's brutal. <laughs> Very. You know, and that twist ending, just like, what the fuck? You know, it gives you that, you know, a lot of people's like, well, the twist endings made the movie, you know, it's it messed the movie up and, you know, made it worse and this, that. Not really. Because you think about it, he had the boating accident and had no clue, but at the same time was confused because he's got male parts, but he's a female. Right. So, you know, that's why she kept quiet, kept to herself, yada, 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 and started killing people that made fun of her. You know, her mind just got twisted because she was a male acting and dressing as a female. And so that rage just built up because she was being tormented just for her quiet personality. Right. 
and it was handled so well too yes very well and to me that was a sleeper hit it really was well it turned into a cult classic oh yeah and then spawned two sequels which well three sequels the sequels got more campy and more cheesy but they were good Uh, there was a fourth one? Yeah, um... Oh, I can't think of... I can't think of it off the top of my head, but they brought back Felicia Rose before. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she was supposed to be at, uh... Scare Fair 2022. Yeah. That would have been cool to meet. So that's an yeah, interesting no. kind of vibe because it almost has the same type of killer camp vibe. Um, right. Sleepaway Camp and Friday the 13th. So that's kind of your groove, huh? Not really my groove. It's just one of those that, like, if I'm just having a day where I just can't figure out what to watch, I throw one of those on. Because it's just one of those that, like, I guess it's just it's kind of one of those that it makes you kind of feel like a kid again yeah <laughs> I get it I get it you know and you know even though you know the twist ending it's it's still that you look as many times I've seen both of them I'm, I still look for little bits and clues about who the killer is along the way because you know and what's their motive and that kind of thing because there's always clues you're going to miss no matter how many times you watch it oh yeah yeah and you know that's that's just one of those things where it's like you know you're, you're you keep looking for those clues that maybe you missed the, the time before but another one of my top three and, and it's it's tied with second place for the most part is Return of the Living Dead. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you got to go with your traditional zombie. You know, you got to have your traditional zombie. You got to keep it in the family. <laughs> exactly. No kidding. You know, because you know, looking doing my family history, I am related to John. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Keep it in the Yeah. Right. You know, along with the Russo brothers, you know, and a few others. And so, you know, when it comes to zombie, when it comes to zombie films in general, I like Night of the Living Dead. I like Day of the Dead. I like Dawn of the Dead. They were really, they were really well done. And it was to be a trilogy. And they kind of made it that way. But with Dawn of the Dead, it's like they didn't kill all the zombies in Return in Night of the Living. Right. You know, and so the outbreak is still continuing along the way. That's where Dawn of the Dead comes in. 
which is great. But Return of the Living Dead, I love it for the simple fact it's got that campy comedy to it in certain parts. Yeah. You know, it kind of goes along with Night of the Living Dead, you know, they tell you how it ended, you know, shit like that. They got the bodies, they put them in these barrels, and they were able to contain them. But then you've got that aspect of the army fucked up, brought some of the barrels there. And then you got the two idiots that go down there and smack the barrels. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Which he never should have done, but... Need the movie. <laughs> right. The movies. But at the same time, you know, they go into that, you know, little track of, you know, not living dead with a true story. So, you know, they just changed all the facts around, yada, yada, yada. Right. And it gives it that great, to me, it gives it a great process of being a sequel tonight. I get that. Absolutely. It, it works. Yeah, it works because they were like, okay, well, they, you know, they were able to get all the bodies and store them. So now here you are, you know, 20 years later, and that's why the zombie apocalypse never happened. Like it didn't dawn of the day. I think one and, of the things also is that it brings an element from uh like George A. Romero's stuff was very serious. But yeah. Russo's stuff there was always an element of this is fun. Yeah. You know, it was fun to watch. You know, and then you bring in the fact that, you know the half zombie, you know, the one with no legs, yeah. no arms. That was just classic you know he shuts the door and he's like there he is he's running on the little nubs <laughs> and it's hilarious to watch you know and they brought in Tarman and everything else and mm -hmm. the big thing was they fucked up by burning the body and burning the split dogs everything else you know that's what started the process created the rain and spread it out there you go which was clever writing if you think about it yeah I mean it makes it makes the uh, the ambiance better instead of just you know the the fog floating or whatever across the cemetery. You know, because now you've created a bigger problem because you don't know how many cemeteries that that rain was hit. You know it's you don't hit that one. Right. But how many other cemeteries are in the area of that rain? And did the rain move? Because it stayed raining there the whole time until almost the very end. So, you know, did that rain cloud move 
and because you don't know that aspect. No. So you don't know exactly how many zombies there were out there because they focused on that one. And at the and at the same time, I've done a little digging on Ernie. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Okay, he is actually a... When he moved, he was actually a Nazi. Really? There's a few, th- there's a few things that actually point to it within the movie. The song he sings is a Nazi war chief. Really? Yes. Wow. It's a Nazi it's a Nazi song. And when he's talking about the rain, he says something else, which is in German. And I don't remember exactly what the the phrase is, but it's a Nazi phrase. He carries a Nazi Walter pistol. And then if you in one aspect, if you look very closely, there's a picture of Adolf Hitler hanging on his wall. Holy crap, really? Yeah. Wow. I'm gonna have to go back and watch that now. Yeah. And, you know, so it's it's really interesting to put all that together. You know, because he's talking about how you break out the rigor mortis and all that stuff, you know, and it's, you know, how to break it up and how you won't find that in the book and how he knows it starts in the brain. You know, and how would you know that? You know, just being a mortician, you know there's other aspects to him just being a mortician, just the way he talks, stuff like that. So he... If I, you know, and this is the theory of mine, that he's the one that dealt with the body after the gas chamber. Mm. There's a homicide detective at the front door. I don't know if you heard that or not. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you want to, because we've got about mm, six minutes left in this episode... Do you want to come back and keep this going and keep talking about our favorite movies, or do you want to jump on to something else? No, we can keep talking about our favorite movies. Okay. Um, yeah, because, like, for your, all the info you've given me, especially on this one, um, I'm going to have to go back and, and watch that. Because um, that was in my top five, actually. I think it was around... I think it was my fifth one. Um, so... That is is pretty cool, to especially the whole Nazi thing. I had no clue. Yeah. So I, I didn't know that until ahead. I, you know, I didn't know that until I watched a few things and it's like, oh, now that makes sense. So were they saying that the the Nazis are the ones that created the zombie? No. They're just saying. Well, basically, what it's saying is that like. He's hiding out as a mortician uh-huh. because, of, because of his war the crimes. The war crimes. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But nonetheless, it, it makes you want to go back and, and watch it because, like I was saying earlier, is, is 
there's a sense of fun to it. I don't know. Do you get that? Yes. I mean, there, there's that sense of fun, and, you know, the whole thing, like, with Renee Quigley seeing, you know, dancing on the gravesite and stuff like that, you mm-hmm. know, it's kind of like, was that really necessary? But at the same time, you know, it kind of makes her quote about being eaten alive. The fantasy of death, yeah. Yeah. Kind of makes it, you know, an interesting plot twist. It was like a... Because that's exactly... Because that's what happens to Yeah, it was like a foreboding... Um, yeah. Almost like prophecy kind of thing. Yeah, it's like a foreshadow. Yeah, there we go. I was trying to think of that word. There you go. Thank you. And, you know... And, and it makes it, you know, that little bit of foreshadowing kind of makes... It's like, okay. You know, but then they're like, you know... Spiders taking off her clothes again, which... That right there tells you this is normal for her, you know? Yes. Which was good, you know, visual. I mean, come on, let's just face it. If you're yeah. if you're a straight male or a gay female, it was good visual. <laughs> right? All the and, way around. Know, Fun for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the interesting part about that one is, at first, they didn't like the fact that they could see her puked. Oh, really? They're like, there's no way we can get around that. So they made her shave. And then now you can see even more. So they used a prosthetic to cover it up. That's kind of ridiculous. Well, they tried, They did that so it could keep from getting X-rated. Mmm. Okay. Gotcha. But then a prosthetic just gave it an R rating. Yeah. Okay. Because you couldn't, because you couldn't see anything other than their flesh. You know, you couldn't see that. You know. Right. The bits. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't. You couldn't see the nibbly bits. <laughs> So we've got about two minutes left. Um, just what you been up to, real fast, and then we'll wrap it up. Oh, basically here lately, just I've been working. And you're back and, in in uh, EMS again, right? Yeah, I'm back in EMS, back to being a paramedic. So I've been working a lot of hours, but when in my downtime, I watch movies, of course trying to find something, you know, watching something new, if I can find it, that's interesting. Right on. Um, I know it's it's not part of the grindhouse or horror, but um, Jay and I watched Conan the Barbarian, and it was the first time Jay ever seen it, and he loved it. I'm like, oh, son, I have part two. (laughs) (laughs) I have Conan the Destroyer. Yes. So, uh, I might try to get him to, to watch that in the next day oh, or two. You gotta, you gotta add in Red Sonia. I mean, come on. 
You know, it's really hard to find Red Sonja on Blu-ray. I've looked. But yes, I do agree. Yeah, I mean, that that just rounds it out completely. The, the new Conan the Barbarian wasn't bad. But, I mean, when you compare it to the original... Yeah, it I, wasn't Schwarzenegger. I mean, yeah, it was Jason Momoa, but, I mean, he was tiny. Doesn't look like he does now. Yeah. Well, that, and again, it just... I don't know. Schwarzenegger brought something to it that couldn't be replaced. Right. I don't know if it was the bad English or what, but it was it was enjoyable. It really was. All right, Al. Let's go ahead and wrap this up, and we will uh, kind of circle back, and we will uh, tackle another episode. So go ahead and send us off. All right. Thank you for listening to Grand House Leads. I'm Alan Russo. I'm Dave Montoya. Y'all have a good one.